At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, folks? We're back with another podcast. I hope you enjoyed the last podcast. We talked to Jonathan Abraham from Florida, and we talked about his HVAC life and what he was up to and some of the things that go on in that state as far as heat, humidity, population, the amount a technician gets paid on average. And hey, it was lower than the national average by 11%. So maybe we can talk to some some individuals from other states to get their take on this great trade of ours, HVAC and refrigeration. But today, we have a great guest coming up on this podcast. His name is Tunji Asiwaju. He's from Armstrong. Okay, we're going to have a discussion on building automation, how not paying attention to certain parts of your mechanical system or your mechanical system as a whole can actually cost you money in the long run, all right, and how a BAS system, a building automation system, can help you track where your system is being inefficient and can save you money in certain places. So that's going to be the discussion coming up on this podcast. Um, Tunji is from Armstrong, and I've been working with Armstrong over the last few weeks, um, few months, actually, to be exact, to bring you some education on pump stuff and pump tips and whatnot. And if you guys follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you'd be noticing the pump tips that came out uh, a few weeks ago. There was 30 days of pump tips. So we're going to continue that education, speaking to uh, some people from Armstrong. And today we got Tunji on and we got some people coming up in future podcasts. We're going to talk about some other stuff to continue that education. So this is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast, guys. I'm your host, Gary McCready. We got Tunji coming up. Pay attention, smart guy, good dude. Listen up. So guys, I usually go through my sponsorship roll call during the podcast because it's a shout out and it's an, an appreciation of them because like I said on the last podcast, I love you guys. None of this would be possible without you. Um, and as I go through the roll call, I'm just going to bring up a couple of products that are great that they offer for the HVAC industry. And you guys need to check them out. And just so you know, guys, these sponsorships that I have, they were vetted on both sides. All right. I vetted them. They vetted me. It wasn't just a slam, bam, thank you, ma'am type thing or wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. There was research done. I've been approached by other sponsors, potential sponsors that I wasn't um, interested in working with because I didn't like the way they came across or their products. So the sponsorships I have now, I'm totally happy with and the relationships are great. All right, so let's start off with Testo. Testo has some great products to offer. They're digital manifolds. Um, their lineup of digital manifolds are incredible. Everybody's starting to buy them. You see them everywhere. Okay, anybody, anytime anybody asks a question about what digital manifold to buy, everybody always says Testo. 
It's because they're a great product. I have the 557s and I love them. Okay, there's also the, the refrigeration smart probes, totally wireless, used in conjunction with the free smart probes app. Another great product. Um, the Testo 316-3 leak detector. Heated diode technology. I can't say enough about it. I, there's not a leak that I haven't been able to find with that leak detector. Now, I know you guys love your H10. Okay, but this leak detector, I'm telling you, if you got it in your hand and you were leak checking, oh, by the way, it's good for 410A too because a lot of people ask that. If you get this leak detector in your hand, trust me, you will track down leaks. Not a problem. You will find them. Okay, so Yellow Jacket. Yellow Jacket, another great company, been in the business for years and years and years. So Yellow Jacket has a, uh, a lineup of super evac vacuum manifolds. They attach right to the top of the 3.8 port on the vacuum pump. Now, those allow for faster evacuation because we're not going to be pulling through our gauges, which have more connection points and, and valves. So basically what you do is you screw it onto the top of the vacuum pump itself and then there's a T at the top and you take your larger hoses and you tie it into the T so you're pulling straight from the system to the vacuum pump. Now the one I have I get questions about. Okay there's a gauge on the top. Okay there's two ball valves on it and there's a gauge on the top. It's a compound gauge. A lot of guys say analog but it's a compound gauge. There's a difference between analog and compound that's for another time but you guys in the meantime, can look that up, what the difference is. So on the top, there's a compound gauge. And a lot of guys say, oh, what's that for? You don't need that. You're supposed to have a micron gauge on the system. Well, correct, you are. Let me tell you what I use that compound gauge for. On the back of the manifold, there's a quarter-inch port, okay, that I use for charging the system after the vacuum's done. So what I do is I have a, a quarter-inch hose connected to that port on the back. That hose is connected to my charging tank. My charging tank is off during the evacuation process. So I'm pulling a vacuum on the system, and I'm also pulling a vacuum on the charging hose to the tank. So when my vacuum's done, I isolate the vacuum pump, and I open up the charging tank and let the gas fly in without taking anything apart. Because when you take things apart during an evacuation process or after evacuation, you have a chance of getting air back inside. But everything's under a vacuum, and I open that tank up and let it fly. That gauge on the top will tell you what the positive pressure is in that system. And why that's important is because a lot of micron gauges cannot take a lot of positive pressure. You have to look into that. So that positive pressure on that gauge will tell you at what pressure you're at and when to remove your micron gauge so you don't damage it. It's very important. So moving on, the Series 41 manifold. It's like the old school compound gauge manifold that Yellow Jacket has been selling for years and years and years. Now you can take those compound gauges off and you can screw on digital gauges. This might be your stepping stone into the digital world. So you can have that old school feel with that old school manifold, but with digital gauges on top. 21 refrigerants inside those gauges. The battery life is incredible. They last forever. You turn them on, you set your refrigerant, you hook up your hoses, and you're good. You're in the digital world. Refrigeration technologies. Um, 
there isn't a company out there that I know of where an HVAC tech and chemist is producing products for the HVAC industry. Okay, this is this is unheard of to me. So Nylog. Nylog is a very unique product, and there's not a product out there unlike it or, or like it, sorry. Use it as a thread sealant, it never hardens. Use it as an assembly lubricant. Like when I use it um, on gaskets for compressors, when I put the heads back on, it's beautiful. It holds the gasket in place so it doesn't fall off. It creates a nice seal when you put it all together. It's an amazing, amazing product. Wet rag. Use it to mold around your heat-sensitive devices while brazing. You guys may have seen my video where I had an actual soaked wet rag versus Viper wet rag, and I had a torch in the middle, and I had my um, Testo refrigeration smart probes on either end, the temp clamps, and I had my phone in the middle measuring the temperature of each side. If you haven't seen it, it's on my YouTube channel, HVAC Know It All on YouTube. So go watch that video, and that will give you an indication of how well Viper wet rag works. Okay, so um, Armstrong. Armstrong is an incredible company. They're the king of pumps. Now they're getting into all kinds of building management and automation. Um, so pay attention to the podcast because there's going to be a lot of that coming up in the next month or so. Okay, um, we get the Field Pulse. Field Pulse is a paperless system. They're an all-in-one service business software that helps you get rid of your paper and it helps you organize your business better. Work orders, um, quotes, invoices, you name it, fleet management, all that stuff. So you guys want to have a 14-day free trial to check it out. Go to HVAC, or sorry, fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all and try out their 14-day free trial that they're offering because to me, if a company's offering a 14-day free trial, that tells me they're confident in their product. That tells me they're confident after you try it, you might just want to stick around and use their service. Now, True Tech Tools, I always save them till the end because they carry so much products in their online store that I want to, at the end of the the lineup of sponsorships, I just want to remind you about the 8% you can save on tools using promo code KNOWITALL, K-N-O-W-I-T-A-L-L. Go to truetechtools.com, pick a tool, okay, and apply KNOWITALL, coupon code or promo code at checkout, and you'll save 8%. Now, unfortunately, Fluke and Fleer, it doesn't work with, okay? That's just the un unfortunate um, part of this, but that's okay. They still have a huge lineup of tools in their online store. Now, Testo, you can still save on Testo as well, but you have to do it a little bit differently. On hvacknowitall.com, on the homepage, scroll down to the True Tech Tools link, which is a logo. Click on that logo. That link will bring you to um, a page where you got to answer a couple of questions. Now, you got to tell them that HVAC Know It All sent you. Answer those questions. Sign into your True Tech Tools account. And once you do that, you will have preferred Testo pricing once you click on a Testo product. So that's the lineup of sponsors, guys. 
Those are the products and services they offer. And I want to thank you guys very, very much. You offer great products. You offer great services. And you guys have helped me a lot during this whole HVAC know-it-all project. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. Hello. Hey, Tanji. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. How's your morning been so far? Good, good. Just catching up on a few things here. Oh, it never ends. <laughs> oh, trust me. I I know exactly how you feel. I um, Well, with my full-time job and then running this uh, little social media project on the side and then having three kids at home, <laughs> I don't I don't stop till about 10 o'clock at night. And then finally, yeah. I just I just pass out on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we got a few talking points to discuss, and um, I write everything down. Um, we're gonna have a call. Obviously, we're gonna have a, a bit of a casual conversation, but it's funny that I say that because I have a full page of notes in front of me, and not many people have casual conversations with a full page of notes in front of them. But my uh, my short term memory is that of a fruit fly, and I'll be the first right. to admit it. So I have to write everything down. But before we get to the talking points, um, if you want to maybe just go into a little bit about yourself, your background in the HVAC industry, and how you ended up at Armstrong. Sure, I can do that. I'm drinking a tea here as we're, as we're talking. Awesome. Um, so my background is in mechanical engineering, um, and I did uh, automation and controls. Uh, and then I started at a small company just uh, outside of, of Toronto, and I was doing I was building automation tech. So I was uh, I was going around doing doing uh, jobs in the city of Toronto mostly. Uh, a little bit uh, we supported our team in the U.S., but mostly I was in on the Canadian side. Um, and we were doing um, uh, automation for, for buildings, mostly lighting controls and security and not so much, uh, you know, pumps and chillers and boilers, um, but, but more so building integration. And we started to do, at the time, uh, monitoring and, and, uh, and energy uh, monitoring. So, so that's what I was doing before I came to Armstrong, which is kind of how I ended up at Armstrong. Uh, because Armstrong had started, oh, well, they had it for a while, but they have these uh, chiller plant automation optimization division. And so I joined the team as a data analyst. So it's a little bit different. I went from, you know, in the, in the field to behind the computer at a desk all day. And, uh, and so that's how I started with Armstrong about five years, five and a half years ago, almost six now. Um, and what we were doing is uh, we, we were, well, we still do it. A lot of our chilled water plant controls, uh, uh, projects and products, uh, everything's on the internet these days. So for the customers that signed up, we were actually doing uh, energy reports. Okay. Um, we were doing deep dive diagnostics into the type of, um, of operational behaviors that we would uh, identify, and then we would give we would give them our feedback as to what we thought they could do to improve their to improve their operational um, uh, energy usage. And so I was doing that for the most part for about four and a half years, and then recently uh, we we um, at Armstrong uh, decided to expand our service department. So I've been with the service team. And so what I've been doing for the last 18 months or so, or 20 months, is uh, putting together our IoT, cloud IoT program. Uh, so again, everything's on the internet, whether it's pumps or chillers or boilers, or at least some of the newer stuff. Um, uh, and so now we can collect data that way. And I still, I still have my team of, of data analysts and engineers that manually go through the data 
to uh, mine it and come up with uh, insights. But but what we're working on now is uh, machine learning, actually, and uh, and uh, data analytics in the cloud, and to try to make it an automated process so you can tackle many many sites at the same time. So that's that's basically my last ten years or so in a, in a nutshell. That's that stuff blows my mind. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it it really does because I mean I've dabbled in building automation a little bit. We have. Um, we deal with reliable controls. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, they're they're based out of BC in Canada, and we we're a dealer and we do a lot of stuff um, with reliable. And we have a a guy that does most of that. And I've dabbled in it a little bit, um, and I enjoy it. But I find it very difficult to wrap my head around sometimes, especially the uh, uh, the writing of code and yep. and dis- and deciphering some of the code like i can read and write simple code uh but right. some of the some of the codes that i've read for um let's say let's say you have four boilers and you want to and you want to switch them over every week or something like that and keep rotating yep. um some some of these codes i read they they just blow my mind i like <laughs> it gives me a headache <laughs> so it, yeah. it's it's really cool that that you you know that and you understand it um did, did it take you a while to to, to, to kind of learn and to kind of get good at it because I know that our old controls guy who left the company a while back, he spent hours upon hours of his own time mm-hmm. at, at home on the computer, just fiddling around and playing with stuff. And he got really good at it, but he had to do it on his own time. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ask me this question, maybe five or eight years ago, I would say, you know what, it, you kind of have to dedicate yourself to it. Yeah. I would answer you. Yeah. But today it's a little different. There's a lot of really cool online classes. Some of them you pay, which are a hundred bucks. Some of them are free. There's a lot of like, you know, videos on YouTube that show you how to code Metasys Johnson, not to oh, really, eh? any specific names. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool things out there. Um, the the Jace, we my old job, we used the uh, Jace uh, PLCs, um, and so so it's not as hard, it's not a, a steep learning curve as it used to be. And I think with the advent of the internet and YouTube and all Facebook, you can uh, you can pick it up pretty quickly, very very quickly, certainly way faster than say ten years ago. That's for yeah sure. yeah for sure. And and what I've noticed is um like I I got a nine year old son and. And he's into, uh, he wanted to get this robot online. So we ordered it and we bought, we, we put it together. And, and what it is, is you, you download a, like an app on, on a tablet. And then it's got drop and drag line codes that you drop and drag into place. And then you hit send or, or whatever you do, enter. And then the, the robot does what you've dropped and dragged in, in, into, yep. the, into the coding box. But I've noticed, um, and a couple guys went to a reliable controls course at our company recently, and they said that reliable is even doing stuff like that where you can actually drop and drag um, prefabricated codes right into, lines of code right into. So I think think that will help a lot too because, I mean, writing code, like I said, I find it's very, very difficult for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Coding, coding certainly is a feature, not just in the HVAC space, but in general finance, whatever it is. Yep. And anyone who even just knows basic levels can, uh, can become very valuable, not just to the organization in which they work, but even in their own, in their own daily lives. So whether it's uh, the Nest, you know, the, the Nest uh, thermostats, they're very, very basic in the way they operate. Um, I, I know it's not quite open source, but uh, you can, for someone who knows what they're doing, can kind of, you know, dial into them and do some fun things with that. 
And, and it's not as hard as it used to be. You don't have to go do a, you know, a two-month course at a community college to learn how to write uh, you know, JavaScript. You can just you know, pick up a book online for 30 bucks and go through it. Uh, and there's lots of free tutorials online that can help you. Yeah. So, I mean, the, <laughs> as far as my coding goes, it's like, if this, then that. I know about that much. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, let, let's move on. So we, we got, we got some topics to discuss and the first one I have written down here um, is the cost benefit calculations of daily or hourly monitoring of, um, mm-hmm. of, of systems and pumps. So if you, if you want to go into that a little bit, that, that, that'd be awesome. Sure. Sure. So, so when uh, when we say daily or hourly monitoring, I, I'm I'm assuming we're talking about uh, you have something like a building automation system, okay, or, or a chilled water plant system, or boiler system, some sort of um, some sort of tracking system where you're gonna you're gonna take data, and that data might be recorded on five minute intervals or 15 minute intervals or maybe once every hour or half an hour, whatever your window is. And the idea is that you will be able to, okay, in two ways you can do it. You can do it in real time, meaning you can have somebody staring at a computer screen all day long and say, uh, you know, power utilities might have guys, kind of like Homer Simpson standing at his control center there in in Springfield, uh, where where you kind of look at screens all day. And that happens. There are guys like that. For most people, though, they, they, they're doing, operators especially, they have so many things on the go, they can't just sit at a computer screen and stare at, at numbers going up and down. So you're going to want to automate it, back to our programming discussion. Uh, and you're going to want to put rules in place that say, if this chiller goes above 500 kilowatts, send an alarm to my phone or something like that, and then I'll come check it out. So there are some benefits in, in, uh, in doing monitoring that way in an automated fashion, which first of all leaves you open as an operator specifically to handle other things, right? It's talking about an operator for a hospital. There's many, a million things they're doing at the same time and, and they can still keep track of what's going on. So, so what are the reasons why you would want to do that? Well, I kind of just gave one now for if equipment is going outside of its, outside of its uh, normal or expected operational bands, energy is one thing you can look at, uh, then, then you can stay on top of that. Um, if you don't uh, do that, and this is, I guess, what the downsides of, uh, of cost inefficiencies, then it's not as if your whole facility will just blow up. I mean, that's not what's going to happen. Um, but what is going to happen is it's going to cost you more money to operate it. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, so something like uh, a chiller, I talk a lot about chillers because I worked with our chiller department for many years here at Armstrong. Um, something like a foul tubes in a chiller. It's not like the chiller stopped working. It'll keep putting out the water that you expected, the cold water that you expected to do. It's just going to use more energy to do it, meaning your electricity bill goes up. And, yeah. it, and it, it happens in a, like a sneaky sort of way because it happens slowly over time. So even if you have someone staring at a computer screen, for five hours a day. They might not notice that, you know, your energy has gone up by 1% over the last five weeks. That's not something that a human staring at a screen would be able to pick up. But that's something that um, algorithms and code and rules in the cloud or on-premise can certainly pick up small changes like that. And, and certainly that would be one of the benefits of it. Of course, the cost of doing something like that is you have to implement it, whether it's somebody's time, like we were talking about earlier, sitting there and writing code and testing it and, and then verifying that it's uh, indicating these conditions is one thing and but then there are also programs out there uh, that you can buy that are sort of out of the box and you just drop in and it does a lot of that for you Uh, Armstrong has has a few of those 
um, programs in place to do a little plug. Uh, Ecopulse and Pump Manager, but industry-wide, there, there are lots of programs. We're, we're not the only ones who do that. Yeah, yeah, and and I find um, along the lines of this subject here that for the technician, the service technician that's going into service a piece of equipment, um, pulling up a trend log um, that's trending different um, parameters within within a system is so it, it, it's like a it's like a tool that you almost need nowadays because I do um, and I bring this up on a lot of podcasts but I do a lot of pharmaceutical stuff and I'll mm-hmm. go in and they'll go oh this freezer is warm today and it was warm last week and I'm like first thing I say is can you give me the trend log please because I want to I want to study it and I want to see when the temperatures went up if there was a certain time of day it happened and then we'll go look at the log books to see if somebody was in the freezer maybe the door didn't close there's all kinds of variables and Involved. And having these trend logs in front of you that monitor all of this stuff is so important these days. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's I, one of the huge benefits of, of a BA, yeah. building monitoring system. Yeah, yeah. I really like your, uh, your freezer uh, anecdote there. It, it's amazing how, it's a, like you think, it's a really complicated problem. And then somebody finally comes in, looks at the trend log and says, hey, every day at 9 a.m., the, uh, the temperature drops in your freezer room for an hour. Now, okay, well, then let's take a look. What happens at 9 a.m.? Well, well, you know, Bill comes in and he starts to prep whatever it is that they do, and then the door doesn't close completely. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. It's like the most basic thing. Usually the rule is yep. uh, the most basic reason for why. It is. So you, you just have to go and fix the hinges on the door, and then problem solved. It doesn't cost you $100,000 for a new chiller. Yep. Right? It's just yep. a couple of dollars at Home Depot for a new hinge. So it's really amazing how much that happens. Cool. Okay, so I think this next topic kind of flows in, in into the uh, the previous. So, how improper operations or settings can cause issues elsewhere in a building? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a common one. Um, and again, it, it goes back to how you might not realize the root cause of the problem. It's not necessarily your chiller's not working. It's the hinge on the door. It needs to be fixed, right? Mm-hmm. And that and that's a good example of how something happening somewhere else in the building is affecting what's happening in your in your chiller plant, for example, for for uh, creating uh, producing cold water. So, so another one, we're, we're initially uh, originally a pump company. We still make pumps. It's our core business, but although Armstrong, we do many other things. So we talk, I talk pumps a lot in addition to chillers, no surprise there. And, uh, and, and for, for us, one of the things that I've seen in all my years doing data analytics for, for systems is, is plugged coils uh, in zones that are far away from the central plant. So if you think of like a, a college or university campus, and you have one central plant that's maybe feeding chilled water to five different buildings. And the fifth building, which is on the other side of campus, on the 10th floor, it has the coil in the, in, you know, the, 10th, the 10th floor in zone number one that it's, it's plugged. Or, or it's not opening or closing all the way. Mm-hmm. But because it's the most remote zone, the chiller plant may have been programmed to make sure that it is, um, it is satisfying that zone no matter what. So the rest of the facility, and in this case campus, will actually be in fact maybe overheated or underheated just because this one zone that's way off in the, on the other end of campus. And it's not because it's undercooled or overcooled itself, but just because a small you know, uh, a, a coil is plugged, therefore the rest of the facility has to over or undershoot its, its, its uh, set points. 
And, and of course, the effect of that is you're working your chiller, your central plant harder just because of, of one plug coil. So there's an example of, hey, if you just, first of all, you have to know that that coil is plugged, which in most cases, most people wouldn't because you're not tracking stuff like that. You don't yeah. necessarily have, have sensors for things like that. Uh, but you would see that potentially in the logs of your chiller plant if you do have an automation system. So maybe four months before, because usually the coils get plugged over time. It's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. So you'll start to steadily see the energy usage of, say, your chillers or your chiller plant in general, the kilowatt per ton, start to go up slowly. And then you'll say, hey, what's going on? So I won't dive into all, all of the data analytics stuff. But you might see, hey, you know what, every time this is the active zone or, or, or slowly we're having to supply more flow, more temperature over time, someone who knows what they're talking about will be able to say, you know what, maybe we should check those coils, right? And the next thing you know, you're going to find that, yes, that coil is in fact plugged. Um, so, so critical zone for hospitals, that's a, that's a common thing. Um, they might, the operational teams may or may not know that's what's causing the issue. In fact, they might not even know their electricity bill is going up slowly over time. If it happens overnight, everyone can kind of see that. But slowly over time, it's a little bit more, um, um, what's the word, secret, uh, sneaky, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, so there, there is a way in which, you know, settings, if you can call it a setting, a plugged coil, can, again, goes back to how it caused problems elsewhere in the facility, mainly your chilled water plant or your operational costs. Yeah, I've, I've got an example. So let's say you have, um, let's say you have a couple of pumps that are pumping some glycol or water um, through a building that has a bunch of heat pumps or water-cooled ACs, for example. Mm -hmm. So in, in my experience, um, these buildings, the, each individual unit will have a balancing valve, usually mm -hmm. on, the re, on the return side, going back to um, the pumps. So if those balancing valves are not set correctly uh, mm -hmm. for each individual um, water-cooled AC or heat pump, that's also going to cause issues mm -hmm. with the entire system and how it runs and could cost you more money too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a good example. Okay, cool. So so the next topic we have to discuss, it's, uh, these, these are all kind of flowing nicely. So pay attention to equipment to avoid costs adding up. So it kind of goes mm -hmm. back to the first um, topic of discussion is, is trending, right? Yeah. And, and that's a great way to pay attention to equipment to make sure your costs are not building. So if you want to touch on that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think we hit the nail on the head with the last couple uh, topics that we kind of diverged a little bit, but worked nicely with this one. Yeah. You know, uh, keeping track of your equipment, uh, specifically energy uses, because that's what we all end up paying for at the end of the day, right, with our utility bill. Um, that if you keep track of what's happening with that equipment, then you can avoid, you know, cost adders. And, it, and you know what, the cost adders is an interesting thing. If it's an obvious one, like um, you have, say, three pumps in a pump station and, and one of them goes down, uh, then you're going to have to end up running the other two harder to make up for the shortfall, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, so that's a, kind of an obvious one that most people will get. It's the stuff like plug coils or a strainer that's clogged on a pump, but it's still producing, you know, the flow rate and the pressure that, well, sorry, I should say the pressure that you required it to do. It's just using more energy to do it. Those ones are a little bit uh, tougher to, to catch by the naked eye. And, uh, and, that, and that kind of harkens back to all the things we kind of uh, touched on already uh, today. Um, so super important, uh, especially for, for uh, facilities or operators or 
or or techs who who care about stuff like that. It's it's uh, it's it's a little bit tougher to to eyeball, but uh, it can make a huge difference if you have the right tools. So I'm going to for all the AC guys um, that are listening. Uh, this is a good one because I kind of I kind of ran into this yesterday. So I I was working on a, a walk-in freezer, and mm-hmm. I had a problem with um, one of the one of the machines. There's a backup and, and a primary, and one of the machines. It seemed when when that one when that one was primary, the box had a hard time getting down to temperature. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and if and the reason they knew that, and the reason they knew it had a hard time getting down to temperature. Um, is because they were trending it, and they over time they seen these these mild spikes that get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And without that, we wouldn't have known um, there, mm. that, that that it's a slow process to get to this, right? Mm. Um, so I went in and I checked the primary and backup. The the backup um, the evaporator temperature was was dead on. It was a uh, minus thirty five degrees where it should be. Um, the unit that was running primary at the time was. Um, was minus 32 degrees. It was three degrees warmer than it should have been, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to go in and make adjustments to the mechanical TX valve uh, to allow um, my uh, evaporator temperature get, to get down to minus 35. So mm-hmm. by be, being able to trend and pay attention to that is, is how we caught it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, yeah, that, that's another good way to, yeah, to, to, to keep track of your equipment. And, and if you have... Um, if you have a BAS on a system and you can keep track of it like that, then that is, it's so, so important. And, and I know a lot of guys um, that might be listening to this, they're in the residential space and there's a lot of residential homes. They're not going to have building automation systems in them. Yeah. But as these newer units start coming out, um, you might see that more. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, I, you, think, you, I think you, you will. You might, you might see that more, let, let's say 15, 20 years down the road, you, you might yeah. see, um, these smart thermostats that pay attention to different things in the home and will give you back a trend log of maybe return air, supply air, stuff like that. So it's, re- it's really important for you to be able to understand a trend log and it's, be- it's important to understand what you're reading in that trend log and how it could be affecting mm-hmm. the overall operation of the system. Right. Okay, I got a question for you. What what sure. was uh, trending the uh, the primary and the backup units? Was it just the building automation system? It, it was a um, basically it's a pharmaceutical site, so they have their own sensors. Um, they got oh, about okay. they got about three sensors inside of the the freezer, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and they and there's a, a a QA team like a quality assurance team that that looks after this stuff and i mean they're on top of it all the time and that's what their job is to stay on top of this stuff so i mean they called it they called a guy in about a month ago when he was there he couldn't really find anything it's more of an i don't know if it was more of an intermittent thing but i had gone through i I spent the whole day yesterday and i went through both of these machines with a fine-tooth comb like i wasn't leaving it until i found what was going on um and and the thing what I found was, is this primary unit, it would run and run and run and run, and it wouldn't shut off, right? Right. So it's, a, it's actually using more, more energy to cool this space. And as soon as I made that adjustment to the TX valve to bring the evaporator temperature down to where it was supposed to be, half an hour later, mm-hmm. it cycled off. All right, there you and go. It cycled off for half, at least half an hour. So right. we, we saved some energy there instead of the thing running for six, seven hours yep. Yep. Before, before shutting down. Yeah, so that's really cool. 
Yeah, no, it, it is. And, and like I said, building automation, that's, that's where it's going. And, and I think everybody needs to kind of be aware that that's where it's going and, mm-hmm. and really start to understand it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't need to understand it fully right away, but if you take these little online courses that you're talking about, just so you can understand um, even networking, how to wire a network, a very simple one. You know what I mean? You don't have to wire um, like 40, uh, yeah, like a, a whole yeah, building. 40 data centers. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> s- simple networking to network yeah. a few a few controllers together, something like that, and, and, and how to do it. it it's important. So um, the next topic of discussion here, we got some chiller plant automation stuff, and I know you're talking about chillers a lot. So past, mm-hmm. present, and future. So where are we going with, with chiller plant automation? Yeah, so so the, again, I love how all these topics are kind of flung into each other. That's probably not a, an accident. The um, chiller plant automation is it's something that's kind of new. Uh, by new, I mean like 10, 12 years, 2000, maybe even 18 years. Wow, 2000 is 18 years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, and so and so that was kind of kind of the the standard where you would, let's talk about chiller plants, but this is true for boiler plants as well. Where uh, well you have a set of pumps, you'll have a heating or cooling uh, driver, mechanical driver, so whether that's chillers or boilers, then you may have condenser side pumps uh, in the case of chillers, uh, and then cooling towers on on the roof or, or in the in the garage, in the parking lot outside. And so just automating all that so you don't have to have guys at a, at a control, you know, switch putting on and off, manually turning on and off chillers and, and, and boilers and pumps. Uh, and so that made life easier for operators, that's for sure. But now the next step, when we talked, we touched on it quite a bit already, uh, is how do you optimize the oper- operation, especially when mechanical equipment starts to drift or it's being inhibited in some way, like plug coils or plug strainer or foul tubes on a chiller. Um, and so, so those, those types of, of, let's call them routines or algorithms, are starting to come out now. In fact, they've kind of been around for the last five years. Armstrong has our set, and some of our competitors have theirs too. But, um, but the idea is, is that you can optimize your, your, uh, your operations uh, based around what is happening in real time, not just, you know, based off the logs that go back five months, six months. Yes. And so, and so, so those are, that's the next step, right? So the past was just, you know, people, when we talk about past, present, future, we have manual operators who do this all day long, putting, oh, it's getting a little hot. We're getting complaints from the fifth floor. Let's go turn on another chiller. They go down to the basement and they, you know, bang on the second chiller and then the temperature comes down. That's how it used to be. Maybe in the 80s, I guess there were some basic controls, pneumatic controls in the 80s and early 90s. And then automated controls with the advent of, you know, you can have PLCs and stuff like that in their mid-90s and early 2000s. Uh, so that was kind of the past. The present today is we have that in 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 spades. There's lots of uh, companies out there that do uh, uh, chilled water plant and boiler uh, plant uh, automation. So you don't have to have a, a poor guy sitting there doing it all day long. He is now free to do other things. He doesn't have to do the basic element uh, basic elements of operation. Mm-hmm. The future, in my mind, is definitely optimization around these things. So so we're still going to need heating and cooling. That's never going to go away. But now we can do it in a way that saves energy. Uh, and that's being green is that sort of at the forefront. You can call it a buzzword if you like. 
but it's certainly a, a hot button topic and we take it seriously here at Armstrong as well. Um, the being green is very important and reducing our carbon footprint and carbon emissions and reducing our energy consumption. And so we can go back. There's a whole um, industry market of all of these really old building automation systems that have been running for 20 years, you know, 25 years, and they're just dying to be updated and optimized. And, and so that's kind of our space uh, and our mission to go, to, to go ahead and, and, and optimize those, those facilities, upgrade them and optimize them to, to have a greener, greener footprint. Cool. So I got a question for you. So yeah. there, there isn't a building, a brand new building that goes up now without some sort of building automation um, system on their HVAC. Now, what, what, about, what about these older buildings where yeah. the owner, he's skeptical about moving to a building automation system because of the upfront cost? So yeah. what, what sort of payback do you think there is? Like how, how many years would it take if you put in a, a building automation system, you had it set up correctly, and we monitored everything from the get-go, how long do you think it would take to pay that back, that initial cost yeah. back? That's that's a really broad question. It's a really good yeah. question. It's a really broad question. Of course, the sh the short answer is it's hard to say unless we, you know you're you know you lay out a building. Are the pumps 50, 30 years old? Pumps can run a long time. Are they constant speed chillers? Are they already variable speed? If it's an old building, it's probably constant speed. Let's assume it's a really large facility. Um, it, it, are they going to do optimization on top of it or just automation? Is the owner considering replacing equipment, or he just wants to put automation on top of existing equipment? So, so, and then of course, who you're buying from in terms of pricing, everything that all comes into it. So, so the the that's sort of the long answer. So the short answer is it really it really depends on on what that owner is looking to do, and and what kind of it's not just upfront costs, which is important, but it's also operational costs for years five, six, seven, eight, nine, right? Okay. So if you, if you do a little bit more up front, uh, then you can save more in the long run. I know that's hard and we're in an era right now where everybody's tightening their belt. So that's a hard, that's a hard argument to make. But for facilities like government facilities or, or big pharmaceutical companies, you talk to them that has this really old equipment, they build like a visor that's been around for 80 years or something like that. They can maybe do that upfront cost to upgrade all their equipment and then start saving in years uh, right away. And, and, and then the payback can be something depending on what they do, maybe three years, maybe five years, depending on how much they upgrade it up front. But then after year five, you're saving on top of your operational costs, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. It's a really big facility. We have some hospitals um, in the U.S. And in, and in Canada where we did some optimization programs, and they're saving in the hundreds, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year. In Canada, we sort of have um, a single payer system, so it's not, and it's government run, so it's not at. They can wait for the longer paybacks. But in the U.S., where it's privately owned hospitals, they want to start seeing that payback right away, and they see these numbers are saving two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year. That makes a huge difference for them. Oh, of so, course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, I mean, those, it's a business like any other business. They save lives and you know heal broken bones, but they still are there to make money. And so, to them, they can see their bottom line uh, go up, right? And say, hey, that's good. We 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 li we like that. Um, and so, so it's 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 really depends. So it's a complicated question, and, and I can we can have a whole other podcast on just that question by itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I read I read a um it was about a, two years ago. Um, I read a case study, and I don't remember all the exact figures, but right. the, the BMO building downtown, mm -hmm. um, 
they switched all of their pumps to um, to VFD control. They were just straight 100% running all the time. And it was a, a few years ago, they switched all their pumps over to VFD pumps. Now, I don't know if, if that was Armstrong pumps they put in or not. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was reading that the building over the, the first year, it was it was somewhere in the range of 20 to 30%. Um, energy savings by putting in VFD controlled pumps rather than straight up 100% uh, pumps running all the time. So that that alone is incredible. Yeah, that, 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 that's incredible. And if those pumps are you know 25, 30, even 50 horsepower, that's a lot of kilowatt hours. Yeah, going from constant speed, running at 100% speed all the time, to something like I don't know 35 horsepower on a 50 horsepower pump over the course of a two-year period, but you could be talking about 10, 15, even $20,000, depending. A building like that probably has 20, 30 pumps in there. So, so that's a lot of energy for sure. Oh, it is. And, and I mean, these buildings that have these pumps running constantly at full speed, they don't even need to be running at, at, <laughs> at, at full tilt all the time. You know what I mean? You got it. If, if, the, if, if, the, if the demand is not there. So yeah. um, VFD p- controlled pumps is, is definitely the way to go these days. Um, okay. So we have, I got a question that came in about uh, five minutes before I called you. And then I had one, uh, one from last night. So if you want, you can, you can try to answer these as, as best you can. And then, uh, sure. then, we, then we can wrap it up. Okay. So the first question I have is um, as far as boilers go, is the pump better? on the return or the supply side of the boiler? Mm-hmm. So in, in the real world, uh, you can put it on both. I think the, 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 the person who's asking that question probably has seen both applications in the real yep. world. And, and that's really just a matter of what's practical, where can you install it? And that's a, that's a function of practicality. In a perfect world, an ideal or according to me, I, I would put the pump upstream of the boiler. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, that usually, not always, but usually the boiler, and the same goes for chillers, they're similar in this way, is going to be the largest pressure drop in the circuit. And so you want the pump to see that pressure drop first. Then as the water circulates through all the zones and, and the rest of the facility, then, uh, then you'll have little pressure drops there. Of course, the piping will cause a pressure drop. But you want, you want the boiler to get all of the pressure that it needs to operate at its, its top efficiency, right? If you put the pump downstream of the boiler, then you're going to have the pump uh, pressurizing the circuit. Uh, and then the pressure, as it goes through the pipes, it goes through the different zones, uh, more pressure, more pressure, more pressure, drops. And then once that slug of water, put it that way, reaches the boiler way as it comes all the way back to the boiler, it's not the largest amount of pressure that it could be. So the problem with that is either the boiler is not going to get all of the suction pressure that it needs, which means inefficient operation, mm-hmm. or, or the, the alternative to that is you're going to have to run the pump at higher speeds, meaning more pressure, to make sure that the boiler gets all of the pressure drop that it needs. So if you didn't inspect those pumps correctly, then you might have to run them at a higher speed, if that's possible at all, just to get that to get that pressure, the suction pressure the boiler needs as it circles the whole building. And we talked about a campus earlier. So it goes all the way to the other end of the campus, water comes all the way back. I know that's an extreme example. And then now it's, it's, not this, it's below the suction pressure just to operate or at least in the most efficient suction pressure. So short answer is I would put it upstream of the boiler. The long answer though is it, it of course depends on where you can install it. Sometimes that's not always practical. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you say that because I never thought about the pump being before the boiler and using that pump pressure to overcome 
the pressure drop in the boiler. That's 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 a good yeah. that's a good point. Um, so the the other question um, is 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 on sewage pumps and and the gentleman he wanted to know how you determine the size of a solid that can pass through the pump. He he thought it was with a ball bearing. Um, See, so yeah, I'm I'm not I've never worked on a sewage pump, so I don't even know mm. where to begin to, to 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 help him out. I don't know if if you know the answer to this question or not. Yeah, I I, I don't want to say that I do. I, I haven't worked on too many sewage pumps myself. The question is around how do you know the size of the solid that can pass through the pump? Yeah. So yeah. So basically, if you're pulling sewage up and you have a a solid um, that, that that you pull up. You don't want something too big to go through the boiler and damage it. Yeah. So how do they determine the size mm -hmm. of the solid that can pass through that pump without damaging the pump? Yeah, wow. I, I can't say I know the answer to that question. Um, what I can do though is I can I can uh, I, what I can do is I can send you some resources, uh, okay. Gary, that you can forward to your questioner, the per the your, the person who asked the question. Uh, and then maybe they can, uh, they'll be able to find out the answer. I don't want to say anything, and then it's totally wrong. And yep. everyone's gonna think I don't no, know. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I can definitely point you in the direction of resources that can help. That's for okay. Sure. That 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 would be uh, that would be sufficient for sure. Okay. Sorry, cool, man. listener. If the uh, uh, whoever asked that question, if you're listening, sorry, I couldn't answer that question for you, but we'll we'll get you the answer for sure. <laughs> okay. That's what they want to hear. Okay. Tunji, it's been it's been awesome talking to you. We had a, a really good conversation. I think we touched on a lot of good points. And I think that whoever's listening, if they can learn one thing, then we've done our job today. I, I'm with you on that. Okay. So um, I'd like to talk to you again at some point because this was a really good yeah. conversation. And, and I learned a lot from you. And oh. uh, I, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Uh, anytime. I'm, I'm happy to come back on this podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for awesome. inviting me. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right. I'll talk to you later, man. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. So I made a mistake there when I was asking that question about the sewage pump. I said um, a solid moving through the pump and damaging the boiler, but I didn't mean to say that. I don't want to confuse the guys, so I just wanted to correct that quickly. I just meant to say damaging the pump because if we have solids and some sewage and that solid moves through the pump, it could damage the pump. And that was the question that was brought on um, by the individual that asked. Okay, so I didn't want to confuse you guys. It has nothing to do with a boiler. But, guys, you can tell um, Tunji is a great guy. He's very enthusiastic about what he does. He's very smart, very intelligent. And that's why we talk to people and interview people on podcasts such as the HVAC Know-It-All podcast so we can learn. And when you talk to people like Tunji, you realize that you know a lot less than you actually do know about this trade. The trade is very vast. There's a lot to it. You can never know everything. So talking to people that specialize in different areas will actually be some good insight into furthering your education. So thanks, Tunji. Thanks, Armstrong. Um, that was a great podcast. You guys have a good day and happy HVACing.